traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen without ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Prices start at $9 per month. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. This episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast is brought to you by Stock Market Hats. Stock market hats claim to be stylish and funny. Frankly, I wasn't that amused by some of them, but maybe you will be. And it's not just hats either, but they have t-shirts, sports bras, socks, and even pet ID tags. It's worth checking out, and right now you can take advantage of a 10% discount on all merchandise. Go to stockmarkethats.com and enter the code CONTRARIAN before you check out and take advantage of this special offer. There is a referral link I will put in the show notes as well. Stock Market Hats, claiming to be stylish and funny. Emma Muehlman of Ascend Investment Management, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today. We've been trying to do this interview for a very long time back on the early days of the podcast in like 2019 or so, if memory serves. And so I'm very thrilled that I finally have you here in the flesh, or actually not, it's over Zoom, but whatever, to do this and to talk about interest rates. And you have a pretty contrarian view there. And what we're looking at now with interest rates is expectations that central banks in the world over, starting with the Fed, are going to tighten rates, are going to raise interest rates next year, starting around the middle of next year. I'm not sure exactly what futures are pricing in right now. It was two rate hikes uh, when I looked last week or so. I think it's still about the same, but you aren't buying it. Tell me why. The markets are pricing in, Jay Powell, at his word, starting, completing and sticking to the current taper schedule all the way through to till it's finished in mid next year so like june of next year and then the lift off starting right. then after which it's pricing in through um continued hikes all the way through 2020 end of 2023 at least and i think that peak would be like end 2023 early 2024 if you look at the euro dollar futures market so i would say not speaking on behalf of any uh, ascend investment positions just myself this is my personal yeah of course opinion I think the market is, for one thing, they're all herded onto this one side of the boat saying, hey, bonds are crap, like sell bonds. 
and they're going to find themselves off sides when the market can't structurally handle probably even the tapering. Mm. So, I mean, J-PAL has not been quiet about broadcasting that they are extremely flexible and will change their stance as soon as they see anything that changes. You know, we saw in December or well, leading up to December, 2018 and the infamous PAL pivot when he had tapering on autopilot, quote unquote autopilot, which was a much less dovish stance than he has now. And then all of a sudden, you know, December, 2018, he goes from tapering to full on QE. So mm. I wouldn't be surprised if I, if we saw the tapering end before we ever even got to lift off, wow. in which case you'd see Euro dollar futures would be a great trade. I'm looking at December, 2022. And also same with the 30 year treasury and the 10 year even, but so more would- a, flat, a flattening of that curve. Right. Right. Okay. Because it has been, it has been, uh, steepening in anticipation yeah. of, the, of the rate. The rate Generally rate. it has. Yeah. They got, it got a little whiplash toward my view um, after the bank of England came out with right. that surprise, but uh, that's the, that's the consensus by a, by a long shot. So if you look at the, at the uh, CFTC futures and options, net speculative positioning, that's where ev- everybody's on, on the one side of the boat, short the bonds, short. Mm. The yeah. Right. Okay. Now, so, you aren't concerned or you don't think that inflation will force the Fed's hand, non-transitory inflation. We've seen this. So here's um, the thing. I don't think the Fed has control over supply side and uh, supply side driven inflation. That's really um, a factor of, of shortages coming out of China and uh, bottlenecks at LA ports. I don't think they want to suppress demand and suppress economic activity by raising rates. I don't, I just don't think they have it in them to be frank. Um, I think they want everything to be rosy and, and the and markets are structurally extremely fragile because of all the stuff that the feds done for the last 10 years plus. Mm. So like we saw in, in December, 2018, I mean, people, I mean, I've, I've said like, or at least that day when I saw that happen, I was, I was highly disillusioned because I was, I liked that he was you know tapering and I knew it was putting pressure on China. Uh, but some people would argue, well, what would you have done? Would you have let the, let the whole bond market collapse? So these little suggestions are, are speaking to the fragility that's inherent in our markets and that the Fed, whether or not it's explicitly in its purview uh, is, is very, attuned to that's what they're paying attention to anytime the equity markets start to rattle or funding markets start to rattle the fed reacts mm-hmm. so the but the inflation we're seeing you really think it's all supply chain issues stuff it's not because of the liquidity that's been sloshing through the system here oh that's definitely part of it but that i think is what's driving property so sure. property markets uh, i think that's and that will continue to I, so excuse me when i say i still expect property markets to continue to be in asset prices, inflation is going to continue to occur. I mean, when you take a balance sheet from like 800 billion to like, you know, eight, eight trillion, and you just print 3 trillion on a random Sunday in the middle of COVID. I mean, you can't expect that. I mean, the magnitude of that relative to his history is just like, I mean, it's, it's like not, it's unthinkable what, what would naturally happen to home prices provided. Mm-hmm. I mean, they may end up just being exchanged, like houses being exchanged between people who can afford to own houses, right? Because people who don't have already owned houses, as that occurs, end up getting you know cut out of the market basically because they can't afford 
to mm. ever purchase a new house, but mm. that's that's not a good outcome either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still don't think in, in terms of the rates trade, uh, I think the Fed loves it when when property prices go up, or I don't think they mind too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think, yeah, you're you make a good point, but yeah, I think they, they put the market in stability first. Mm. And so what if, I think I know the answer to this question already, but what, Jay Powell, his days are kind of numbered, right? And he could be replaced. Uh, what if he is? And what if that person then wants to come in and and yeah. and do the dirty work for him? Yeah. And so that goes further to where, where, where my point, actually. Um, I haven't been thinking much about that, but I know people in the markets have, um, and they're looking at Lael Brainerd I, mm-hmm. I, I here, who's like the dove of, mm-hmm. of all doves. So you've got a pair in a real pair in, in Lil Brainerd and uh, Jenny Allen. So you've got either on the one hand, a Powell, a Powell Fed reversing course. And then on the other hand, if Powell doesn't end up sticking around for another term, you've got almost a like a guaranteed dub. I don't want to put it that way, yeah. but um, I think you'll see a shift in positioning. Definitely if that before it's announced that, you know, Powell is not going to keep the positioning, but the second that's announced, you're going to see a, a large shift in positioning. And if everybody's asymmetrically over here, the pricing, what's priced in relative, I mean, what's what's priced in relative to ex- my expectations, probabilistically speaking, means there's going to be, I mean, it's, it's hard to lose if you're on the other side of that trade, number one. Mm. And then number two, there's several catalysts that suggest mm. uh, you might want to consider, you know, getting some duration in your portfolio. What kind of catalysts are you looking at? The ones that we we're just talking about. So, oh, I see. Okay. Powell, Powell reversing. I mean, I to, to be frank, I mean, I think that the latest FOMC meeting where they started or they announced, yes, we will taper, um, was probably the dovish, the most dovish taper you could ever come up with. And then, you know, it, he never forgets to say over and over again, we're going to react to the data as it comes. We're going to, we, we're always willing to change. Either way, whether it's this way, they ain't going to go higher faster. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I just, I mean, I see, I don't see it in Chair Powell. I mean, it, it it depends a lot. I mean, we've only seen that once out of Volcker, right? right. It's not popular. Right? No, no, it isn't. It really isn't, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, every time that they've done that and the market really pushed them around, they eventually... I mean, you know, the Bernanke Fed and the Greenspan, the last days of the Greenspan Fed, they did raise for a while there, mm-hmm. um, but but that was without any real consequences. <laughs> and once the yeah. consequences came in in 07 and 08, that, that yeah. was off. Yeah. And we certainly saw that with Powell, to your point, from, uh, you know, fourth quarter of 2018. So where does that leave markets? I mean, I would assume that the party will continue then for equities. I expect the party will continue with equities. I think that although there is, you know, coming things that we should all be aware of, and that's out of China. Um, right. So we're, we're looking at everybody's talking about inflation, but there's all, and I, I think that you know the supply chain part of that is something that you know we can't really argue with. But there's also deflationary forces that are big, long term and short term. So right. in China, they are having, you know, their huge property debt problem translates to consumers who are feeling a lot less wealthy because it's the same the money illusion if you will they have their money in uh, uh, a an unfinished box of cement outside mm-hmm. of this is a, tr- a true number out of, so there's like a, an apartment a small apartment on the outskirts like the sixth zone area of Beijing that's just 
literally concrete, like nothing got finished. It, it's, they stopped work. It's being marked at 60 million RMB, i.e. $10 million. Like who would buy this? <laughs> you know, um, if, if you're, if you're a Chinese, you're going, I'm going to try like I, buying that doesn't seem right. Like maybe I should be buying another apartment in Toronto, or maybe I should be getting my hands on uh, trying to, you know, I'm thinking capital flight is going to be a, a risk again, that they're going to have to, they're going to try to clamp down on. And so what, what's happening is with the reduction in construction activity, that's that they're being forced to deal with. I mean, they, they started at the start of the year saying, Hey, we're going to take this stronger stance on reducing investment in the pro in the highly speculative property development and, and property sector. And they can't reverse that. They've made too much of a public commitment to that. But what they have, have been doing is this is a number for you. That's pretty big. Um, they just injected almost a trillion Chinese won in so about 300 fully through the banks. Wait, no, 150, 80 billion us. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So about a trillion in in Chinese one, um, hmm. and then they also or they also sent you know the PBOC sent messages to the banks saying, speed up those mortgages, like pick up those mortgages. Um, they can't change. They're not going to change their. Uh, they target. They create a target for growth at the start of the year. So that would happen at the start of twenty twenty one. They're not going to change that now. It's way too much of a bureaucratic effort to get done. So they're doing other things to kind of bail out everyone without it being completely obvious. They are doing more repression. Like, so, you know, if you're going to be protesting about a wealth management product, you know, making a bunch of noise, arrest them. I mean, the, the anti-corruption initiatives have sped up a lot lately, which, ha which has, it has some implications. I mean, it, it says something about, she's uh feelings of stability or or the or lack thereof so but how is that deflationary though if, if they're pumping money if they're kind of doing stealth liquidity injections yeah sorry uh, so i took a little side you know that's fine it's all which is all very interesting by the way but yeah so i took a little side route but um what they what's happening is because of the the prop the problems in the property a few like evergrande is like just the first domino yeah. here like who is like Lehman was the end, like, whereas this is not Lehman, this is the first one, this is Bear Stearns Fund One. So you've got, we've already had defaults from Modern Land, China Properties Group, Cynic Holdings, Fantasia, uh, Fortune Land Development, Tahoe Group, and several others. I mean, not several, like dozens of others. I think 150. Hmm. Um, and these have, they, they keep the smaller ones quiet as they can. From the people that I have on the ground or that I talked to on the ground, I hear they're going so far, so like certain companies, developers are going so far as to fake restarts, like so fake construction restarting restarting activity. Um, so Tahoe Group uh, was reported to have like hired actors and faked restarting construction. <laughs> um, so they're uh, yeah, the actors were pretending to work. Um, so this is just kind of the bizarre stuff that you can't make up in China. But what's happening is, long story short, I'm going you know too far, but uh, you're seeing a nationalization, I think, is what's going to happen with the property sector. Just like you saw with the coal sector in China between 2007 and 2012. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's really a, co a combination of repression uh, of, of, of anybody who wants to, you know, 
who's owed my who's owed a, a property or who's owed anything a repression of that like voices and then coupled with a, a nationalization of that sector is how they're going to try to transition from this growth targeting model which they've had in i.e debt and investment led model which they've had for the last 20 years to a more sustainable longer term model which is going to be a really rough transition and what happens is the second you see pricing in the real estate market in china go down at all that is very politically sensitive that is very sensitive the consumers in china get really upset when property prices go down because of that their savings are highly tied up in that property sector and when it looks like i'm this wealthy and all of a sudden prices start going down, it, it quickly triggers a spiral where all the prices right. starts feeding on each other in a downward spiral. And uh, right. then everybody feels a lot less rich than they were. They're not going to uh, the Louis Vuitton stores and they're not, yeah. you know, yeah. So yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. That's, that's obviously that's about, that's the big concern, but there, I mean, there's others too. I mean, if China to, for them to nationalize all these real estate companies and, you know, let's face it on some level, they are all, are already kind of nationalized, right? I mean, the CEOs are apparatchiks, right? But they, I mean, that they, that would risk cutting them off from the international capital markets, right? And that's one thing they can't do. Or do they? So, and they, it appears in the early days so far, from what I'm hearing, they aren't willing to quite do that yet. That they're still trying to play ball with uh, these courts and Cayman and whatever. I think that that, in the end, is the direction that they're going to end up going. Right. Um, I don't think it's what they want, but, but clearly they're not in a situation to get exactly what they want. I mean, right. what they would like is to continue. They, what they're trying to do, but they can't do, is change the model from one that's investment-led to one that's consumption-led. But the income relative to, like, say, income that Americans have which with which we use to consume is far lower as a relative portion of GDP in China. So it, it it's not possible unless you theoretically were able to just like take money from all the rich people and distribute it and somehow automatically change all these manufacturing setups in the whole economy. It's, 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 it's virtually impossible. That's what they would like to do. So what, but what's happening is the construction activity is slowing They've got a shortage on of coal. They're having to shut down. Um, they're having to shut down plants. They're having to shut down, and they have been shutting down electricity to residential customers as well, which I thought was kind of, you know, interesting that that's already taking place. Um, but with that, you're seeing reductions, and also with the lack of trust and the consumer sentiment being at its lowest since it was in 2015. Prices are looking like they're going to go down. Construction activity is looking like it's going to go down. Imports of uh, copper and iron ore uh, look like they are going to be weak. Coal is the is the area that they've got a shortage. But I think China wants to kind of make like their own coal industry bring it back, bring that back. Yeah. Um, make coal so, right again. Yeah. That's so, right. so it's, it stands to reason then if that happens, China is the biggest importer of commodities, right? the biggest consumer of commodities, or maybe they're tied with us, but so that would certainly could be de- de- deflationary, obviously. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, so that's, that's a, I can see that, but, but isn't there, I mean, in the U S though, there's still so much demand for these 
copper and stuff in our construction industry. And, and if that's still going on, won't that ultimately so my, so my argument for deflation is not solely based on China and okay. it's not for deflation per se. It's more of a longer term argument that demographics and debt mm. drives it drives inflation or de- deflation or disinflation. Um, and if you just simply look at Japan, who has the oldest demographic and their transition from 1989 to present, and then look after that at, at Europe, which is just behind them. I mean, it seems like we've got a force that we can all almost linearly and say, looking at our demographic, it doesn't look like it's going to favor mm. much uh, de- like demand or, or inflation led by demand. I mean, you don't, you have people retiring and spending less and not not developing new families or a lot at a much slower rate relative to the boomers. And so looking at the incremental change, it looks like it's going to be a deflationary pressure. And this is a longer term point of view, as well as, as well as I think uh, technology is also a force. And then debt being a huge deflationary force. When, of you know. course, yeah, yeah. Very interesting, Emma. These are very interesting things. I, if you have still some time, I want to come back and uh, talk to you a little more about this if you do have time. But yeah. if we could just first take a break to hear from our sponsors. If you are a premium subscriber, you will not get the break. Don't go anywhere. Don't touch the dial. We'll be right back. To become a premium subscriber, go to the website contrarianpod.substack.com and sign up. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host and access to private channels on our Discord server. They also get generous discounts to our virtual conferences and other services. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. That's contrarian.supercast.tech. This episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast brought to you by Stock Market Hats. Stock Market Hats claim to be stylish and funny. Some of them say things like, end the Fed, don't tax the rich, I heart the Fed, Dr. Parikh Patel, not back office. Okay, that one is actually kind of funny. Market cap cap, that's also pretty funny. And some other ones. You may know their Twitter, at stockmarkethats, but check it out, stockmarkethats.com, and enter contrarian at checkout to take advantage of a 10% 10% discount. Welcome back, everybody, here with Emma Muehlman. Very pleased to have you on the program. This is the section of the show where we ask our guests to tell us a little bit more about themselves and their professional background and how they got to arrive at their current station in life. The Notes version, we don't need to go to every single year of grade school, unless you really want to, we can find a place for it. But yeah. The Notes version is uh, when I started college, People were who graduate. People who were graduating weren't getting jobs, mm. and so I was like, um, and I've always been good at math, naturally inclined at math, uh, and I was like, oh, that doesn't look good. But those accountant people are getting jobs, so I guess I'm going to do that accounting thing. And then um, in my, I already had an offer with Deloitte in my final year of school, and I took an options and futures trading course as well as a lot more 
market and finance related courses that I didn't get to take in the earlier part because I had required accounting type courses and I fell in love. And so um, I went to work for Deloitte after, after I graduated college, did their consulting and their valuations group for two years. But at that same time, I immediately started taking the CFA um, and I completed it in a year and a half time. So I did in December, June, June style. And then two years after Deloitte, I joined the buy side um, as a research analyst, long, short equity, um, international equities. And so um, I've been doing that or some variant thereof ever since. Um, now uh, I started with a different hedge fund and I've worked at a few in between and I'm with Ascend right now. Um, I'm their chief macro strategist, as well as um, I, do, I do do long, short equity research. And then finally, I also started their quant arm. Um, and so, wow, I, didn't, I wasn't aware that you did equities as well as because our entire conversation so far has been macro, but uh, kind of begs the question where you see the setup here for equities into year end and next year. So, I mean, I think it's gonna be, a th- I, I, like I said earlier, I think it'll be pretty good. I think mm-hmm. it's, I think it's looking strong. I don't think that the Fed's going to get in the way. Um, I can't think of any visible, like large catalysts. I mean, or, or headwinds, if you will. That's okay. going to. So I mean, I'd be live. I'd be long the S and P. Fair enough. Well, but as far as you know, headwinds though. I mean, it does beg the question. Everything we talked about, China. What if China does go belly up? And I, I don't know if you saw the Fed stability report that they released a couple of days ago. Was a couple, yeah, whenever it was. Like and was it yesterday or the day before, or whatever? They said that they, um, they, they said I could quote it exactly, but basically they named China in the real estate sector as something that was could potentially pose a risk yep. on the U.S. economy. Um, uh huh. And I think they also in that quote issue. noted, I think one of the reasons for that, like they had they had a com a few commas like or or a sharp drop in in real estate prices or in China or Evergrande. Right. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to read it because it was, it was very fed um, uh, here. Let me see. Here. Okay. So yeah. Quote stresses in the real estate sector in China caused in part by China's ongoing regulatory fo- focus on leveraged institutions. These along with quote, sharp tightening of global financial conditions, especially in highly indebted emerging market economies could pose some risks to the U S financial system. So this is this is um, great, and this is what reminds me so much about uh, back the, at the Yellen. Remember the Yellen Fed? Yeah. Remember how she was she was dovish and would be she would come out and say the same thing every single speech and would never raise rates. And I would literally write every single time, like on, I'd like do it on LinkedIn or whatever. I'd write literally what she was going to say, what she was going to do, and then she would do it. And I always knew the reason why she, that she didn't want to say it. She said it only at the very end. Um, was because there was emerging markets, including China, strapped with dollar-denominated debt obligations. So if they were going to raise rates at all and strengthen the dollar at all, that was going to collapse. These these countries were going to start to collapse. And that means that money owed to the U.S. wasn't going to get paid. Um, So that was really what was like... I would argue, I mean, I mean, I can't say I know everything, but it seemed to me to be really what the problem was then. And um, I think they're alluding to a similar problem now. And that kind of goes to the euro dollar system as a whole. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, China's got a lot of property developers that have borrowed in dollars. Uh, BlackRock's lended to Evergrande right, right. as is HSBC, but HSBC is not a U.S.-based bank, so I wouldn't be too concerned. But uh, I, and I, I don't think BlackRock's exposure is like debilitating in any way. But um, it's the whole that is that is a that is a risk, and it's mm-hmm. the whole edifice um, and the way that the monetary system is set up when you're the reserve currency and everybody's got to borrow, you know, in your currency in order to do business, but they, their currencies may not be as great or, you know, or their economy is not as not run properly. Mm-hmm. I want to say not mm-hmm. as well run. I'm not here to compare uh, policymakers, but um, I think it's, it's definitely, I mean, I think that's what they're alluding to is just is emerging markets having dollar denominated debts mm-hmm. and not, having strong enough currencies to pay for that. So I, I don't know, that, that kind of goes to my point of them being dovish. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. to keep that dollar, they don't want, mm-hmm. if you get a strength in the dollar, that 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 problem becomes acute, you know? Yeah, yeah. And capital flight yeah. problems from China become acute. So yeah. I, don't, I know that, or I don't want to say I know, but I, I strongly believe that the Fed does not want to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think that in 2015, I want to say, if memory serves, that they did actually mention China. I think in one of those, she did actually say that that was the reason. It was at the end when everybody was expecting it and they punted on it one last time. And I do think they mentioned China. They said it was economic difficulties in China. They didn't want to cut them off or something. But Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit Contrarian dot supercast dot tech for more information so here's a question though on on evergrand and all these other developers in china so they have we know we know on some level the u.s exposure um we know who the equity holders are it's not much mm-hmm. that's going to be wiped out anyway who cares we know who the who the um on some level who the bondholders are or who the yeah in, in the u.s and that's not all that much exposure either but then what about so a lot of this must be held in Chinese banks, mm-hmm. which then begs the question is who is financing the Chinese banks? Does, do you know this is, do we have any exposure? Like does US, any US lenders have exposure to Chinese banks? Is I, that even legal? I don't believe it's legal. I don't think they yeah, do. Yeah, okay, right. Um, but we do have, here's a way that we, ha- we in our everyday individuals, probably people in our military, CalPERS, we have exposure to Chinese banks. They're the so the Bloomberg Barclays Global Ag, which used to be the Lehman Bond Index, uh, that has a bunch of ETFs tracking its exact investments, and it put China. China it increased the allocation in that index of Chinese state-owned banks. Literally five of the top state-owned banks, uh, and including and also uh, CCRC, like their construction and. Uh-huh. Even, even, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of outrageous. I would encourage your listeners to look up the composition of the Bloomberg Barclays Global Aggregate Bond Index because uh, a lot of um, passive portfolios are used that as their oh, okay. debt. As their right, debt. So there you go. So that could be a problem. That could be a problem. Yeah. If the, right. I mean, to the extent that the banks do go under, the extent that they, yeah, I mean, who knows? But the banks in China, like the only way the banks in China go under, like the SOE banks in China, yeah, yeah. is if the Communist Party gets, like, if, as long as the Communist Party stays in power, banks don't go under. Yeah. So they'd have to, it'd have to get right, right. And it, it, it could eventually. I just don't see it happening. Sure, sure. But you don't think that the real estate, 
would cause enough of a, all the real estate loans that they've made to all these developers would cause enough of a issue. The, the communist party won't let it. Yeah. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. All right. How much longer do you think the Fed is going to do this tapering? They've done one month now, right? They have yeah. another month up next in December. And mm-hmm. they said they're going to do what? Six months. Yeah. They, well, they said they're a little more than that. So um, is, is that what they said? Six? I don't know. I, I can't remember. I think that was just what we were saying. June of next year. I think. Okay. So, so eight total. And what do you think? How much, how far do they get? I don't think they're going to get all the way to June. Uh-huh. I think they, I think you could see March maybe if we're lucky. Really? I mean, I'm, so. I'm way far on the other side, yeah, no, <laughs> no, that's views, great. but I've been watching this for a long time. And uh, you know, I always am t- like, why does the market continue to like price this in and believe this when every single time it's like, how many times do we have to watch this thing play over and over yeah. where they say this, the market actually prices in what they say. And then they, they reverse what they did, but they promise. I mean, it's, just not, it doesn't seem like, it seems like one would expect this if you mm-hmm. watch the Fed talk or watch yeah. it. Um, yeah. so, so I think that, you know, there's a lot of fragility underlying our bond markets and our, well, our, our credit markets. And there's tight credit conditions in a lot of places that can't, they're already too tight. And mm-hmm. so I think um, as soon as, you know, the the smallest or the little hint of an issue or of a you know potential problem it shows its uh, rears its head jay powell and the fed freaks out and they reverse they mm. i mean i could see them going from not just stopping q i don't think they would just stop qa i think they i mean stop qt or tapering i think mm. they would go st- straight QE, like just flip like they did in 2018. But something would have to happen, wouldn't it? I mean, you think the bond market could do that? Like, Well, think about like the, I think it was, it was September of uh, not last year, but the 2019 yeah. uh, when, when they, when they had the whole blow up issues in the repo market. Right. Um, I mean, something like that. There's, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, there's, there's not, really there's a lot of tightness still even mm-hmm. though they printed all this money because it, it hasn't gone exactly to productive use yeah. i mean um it, it it raises the prices of uh, like dogecoin and shibu inu right. and high-end art but um does it help you know people get mortgages uh well the, the rates help to some extent but they only help the people who can qualify for a mortgage in the first place right and when home prices are going higher and higher and higher, a lot of people can't, you, the down payment alone prevents them from even getting into that market. I, I think there's a lot of areas in the global economy that are facing tight credit conditions that are too tight as it is. Mm. And so mm. if you come and tighten, and the U.S. is obviously kind of, it has the biggest effect among the global central banks on sure, what sure, it sure. does, right? So if the U S is going to tighten, it may see some areas. What do you suggest watching for the people for get it to get, is it the repo market or what do you suggest watching for people to get an eye to get a handle on this? So I watch, I watch a lot of things in Europe. So I'll watch. Yeah. yeah so I look a lot at, okay, so what's happening in is to, to get a read and you can, and China, I mean, China is mm-hmm. one that one to up a spot to watch, obviously. I mean, they're huge and they have a huge impact on the global economy and they had a huge impact their, their big buying spree got us here. And mm-hmm. now if they're pulling back, 
it's not going to be so so such so pretty of a picture and i don't think the fed well maybe the fed does have this in mind um but i would watch things like you can look at grain elevator sales like or not just uh the elevator equipment sales in china is a good leading mm. indicator for um construction activity okay um, so and you can obviously look at property sales but that's kind of you want to look at property completions not starts because it's oh yeah yeah as soon as they complete a property they that's when it's like sold when they yeah. start you know obviously they don't complete all of them <laughs> there's a right. lot of uncomplete right. um what? so in terms of if you want to if you want to be able to translate into that into demand for commodities demand for cement right okay oil. yeah sure um and then you know the squabbles with australia um on the coal front and um I, yeah i mean i would just be watching i watch european autos i watch mm -hmm. ism um ism has been strong obviously we've mm -hmm. seen that um but i look at ism in other places not just the united states okay. um i would look at the china chinese purchasing managers index right indexes um i mean yeah all, that all one isn't isn't done by the government or is it a kaishin the so no that one's not or yeah it's 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 it, it's i think though but it's it's known to be a reliable source yeah, I, mean, yeah. I don't it's a survey i don't know who exactly calls and does the survey i mean obviously if it's produced by any agency or any group in china um nobody's stupid enough to do something that's going to cross the government uh, so sure. uh, but i don't think they haven't been it doesn't seem that they have been messing with the with the purchasing manager industry. right unlike the gdp data which oh yeah leave the that GDP, and... that's set up at the beginning of the year yeah come on yeah that's <laughs> right so, I mean, it's barely even a joke um yeah okay very cool what about as far as credit market tightness what would you watch there so choose 10 spread um i'd be watching obviously the curve the shape of the curve mm -hmm. um and the euro dollar futures markets mm -hmm. uh, and so like right now the euro dollar futures markets look 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 like um tightening is going to occur or well mm -hmm. that changed a little bit recently the curve flattened a bit after that whole bank of england thing mm -hmm. um but that that's coming back the other way like today and trading today mm -hmm. it's um so if you look at the curve if it looks you know if it looks steep at all then um that might that steepness might not be able to withstand <laughs> like stick right. around and you might see uh it come down on the long end so uh, yeah flattening of the curve Got it. Good. Very good. Emma Muehlman, thank you so much for joining us. What an interesting conversation. Maybe in closing, you can tell our listeners how they can find out more about you. I know you are semi-active on the Twitter, um, but is there any other place that uh, they can find out more about you? Yeah. Um, I'll, on LinkedIn, if you just search my name or... Um, you may I'm, not want to do that. No, it's fine. Yeah, I know. I need, I put my... my my handle has my whole name in it too. Twitter actually, like Twitter themselves, actually sent me a suggestion to change my handle. Oh, really? Yeah, to I'm just a... exactly what it is. I'm an underscore CFA. So I was like, all right, thanks, Twitter. Nice. Uh, maybe I should do the same on LinkedIn. But right now, yeah, it's, LinkedIn, full, yeah. it's my full name. So if you if you find me on Twitter, you can see the whole name and how it's spelled, and, and then you just type it in the search box. Right. <laughs> on Google. Right. Good. I actually spelled it right in my notes. Uh, great i Thanks. did not spell the german way even though i was pronouncing the german way for a while but anyway it's the german way that's how you pronounce it 
it's, it's, no, Mule, Mulemann would be the uh, German. It, oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I don't even know how my name is Because there would be a, there will be an umlaut on the U, and probably um, there would be a second N. That would be probably gotcha. anyway. Well, it means Miller. I thought in German. What's that? Yeah, I thought it meant Miller, like a yeah, Miller. yeah, Miller, Miller man. Miller man. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome, Emma. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we look forward to speaking to you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.